Hello everybody and welcome to the show. My name is Peter Pittendry and today we're speaking to winemaker Edmund Utley from Upland Organic Estate, the first organic wine farm in South Africa. I was fortunate enough to get an insight into the workings of the farm, the hard work and perseverance of a passion and how it all ties together to produce some of the best wines and brandies in the country. The chickens on the farm are really free range and make their way into the recording so please excuse the noise. If you're interested in organic best practices and yummy wines and brandies, this is a good one. I hope you enjoy. Edmund, thank you so much for uh, inviting me over to the farm and uh, letting me come in and, and experience a little bit of, uh, of Upland. Uh, you're an organic farm. That's right, yeah. And um, I mean, I've heard the phrase organic uh, thrown around, but but what is it to be an actual organic uh, farm? I know you, you, you have a, a number of products, which we'll get into, but... Um, uh, what does the, the sort of organic uh, uh, allude to? Well, perhaps let's take a step backwards mm -hmm. and uh, have a look at see how we got here and mm -hmm. how it was that we decided to go farming organically. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, we, my wife and I were both professionals. Uh, I'm a vet, she's an engineer. And we both decided after 10 years in our professions that it was about time for a, for a change. Um, and so we decided to come farming. Um, and when we bought the farm, um, there were grapes on it, and so we had to learn how to how to farm the grapes because we didn't have any knowledge in that field at all. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, there was a lot of people that were able to give us advice, and of course, in those days, uh, everything was conventional. You had to just spray everything to death, and uh, uh, weed killers and all sorts of poisons on the vineyards, uh, which we did for the first couple of years, and and then. From my background as a vet um, and my understanding of the interactions between parasites and hosts or diseases and hosts, um, I was able to get the feeling that uh, something wasn't right and that we needed to go and have a look at alternative ways of farming. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, in the early 1990s when we came here, um, there, there was no internet, there was no easy access to information and so you had to read books, you had to go and write to people. Uh, there weren't uh, even readily available fax machines in those days. I had to go to the neighbor to send a fax. Um, so information was difficult to get hold of, mm -hmm. and it was very valuable. So what happened is that uh, I got involved with a um, system called permaculture, which is a, a mixture of two words of permanent and agriculture. It was a fellow in Australia that tried to develop a system of farming which was uh, almost like a bridge between organic and uh, conventional. Uh, so while they were not against using any chemicals, they were trying to farm in a way where there was um, synergy between the different crops. And so they were advocating uh, polyculture rather than monoculture. Mm -hmm. And over a couple of years, we implemented some of these things. We planted an orchard along those lines at the bottom of the farm, and we planted proteas with olives at the top of the farm. Um, and then gradually we moved over with the grapes to uh, an organic uh, farming system. And that basically is one which does not rely on um, artificial chemicals to push up the yields. Uh, also no artificial fertilizers uh, to make the plants grow better and to make their, their um, sugars higher in the, in the fruit, make the fruit bigger. Because when you use those things, then uh, the, the, the fruits become more susceptible to the diseases. And so therefore you need more and more powerful 
um, treatments for the diseases. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, plants do have a natural immunity, and this immunity is based on the health of the plant. So if you can ensure that you've got healthy plants, then they're going to be better able to withstand disease. And of course, healthy plants need healthy soils. So the first step in this whole process is to understand the soil. And we uh, have a sort of a simplistic idea that soil is really sand and a bit of dirt and maybe some water and the odd earthworm. But in fact, the soil is an extremely complex uh, biome, um, teeming with many, many different types of microbes, bacteria, fungi. Uh, and then uh, larger animals as well, the nematodes, and of course the earthworms and things like that. Mm -hmm. So the first step really was to look after the soil. And um, the, the advice that I got in the early days was I needed to plant a cover crop of something like a wheat or a rye, um, which didn't quite make sense to me because you had to use artificial fertilizers to get them going. Uh, and it was almost like trying to pull yourself up by your bootlaces. So instead I investigated the different options of using legumes. Mm -hmm. um, the reason being that legumes take the nitrogen which is in the air, 80% of the air we breathe is nitrogen, and uh, with special bacteria on their roots, they're able to take this nitrogen and turn it into the fertilizers that the plants need. But of course it's in a natural way, in other words it's a slow release the legumes uh, fix the nitrogen, that nitrogen gets incorporated into the into the plant itself and then uh, in the summertime that plant dies and uh, it becomes a, uh, a mulch to prevent the erosion, to prevent the sunburn uh, from the fierce summer heat that we have, uh, to moderate the temperatures of the soil so it acts as a blanket and then of course it slowly rots and it becomes the compost which is the basis of uh, soil health, is mm -hmm. compost. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, one way of getting compost into your soil is to go and buy it and bring it in, but that's very expensive and labor-intensive. So it made more sense to me to try and grow it in situ, and that's really the basis of the organic farming. Then when it comes to the grapes themselves, um, there are... Uh, things that we spray on the grapes. People think that organic means you never spray anything, but that's not true. We spray what we're allowed to spray. So it's it's uh, things that have been accepted as um, as being organically sound, mm -hmm. and um, and that just helps the uh, the, the plants along. Um, it's a little bit like using a fly swatter. You're never going to get flies resistant to a fly swatter. But mm -hmm. if you start using chemicals on the flies, sure enough, sooner or later, you're going to find flies that are resistant to this. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's, it's that type of principle. Mm. Um, then in the, in the cellar, the, um, the grapes are left to, uh, to, to do their fermentation with the least amount of intervention. We crush them and take away the stalks and then put them in the tank and then they ferment dry. After that they go into um, uh, uh, tanks and then they finish the fermentation in the tanks after, after the grapes have been pressed. Mm -hmm. And um, after they finished fermentation it goes into barrels for three years and after that it gets bottled, generally unfiltered. So the wines are a very good expression of this part of the world. Um, the French call that terroir, 
which is a doesn't really have an English equivalent. It, it means something that expresses the soil or the area that this particular wine has come from. Mm -hmm. And so you'll find that uh, my wines all have an um, unmistakable upland stamp about it, which is uh, it's nice because the clients taste it. If they like it, that's fine. Of course, they'll come back for more. If they don't like it, well, that's just uh, there's no accounting for taste. So yeah, that's just a sort of a brief background to to the farming itself. Wonderful, and. Why, I mean, from a consumer's standpoint, why drink organic wine versus non-organic wine? Is there, I mean, what's the stark difference as a, as a, a consumer that, um, uh, that that would sit at drinking an organic wine apart from a non-organic wine? Well, that's, that's really a matter of opinion. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm giving is my opinion, mm -hmm. not scientifically proven. Sure. But um, for me, rule number one is no headaches. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and then why the no headaches? Well, again, it's a matter of opinion as to whether it is because there haven't been any poisons used in the vineyard. And some of these poisons might have got into the, into the wine. Uh, it might be that the fact that my wines have had no added sulfites. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that... Um, they, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's no preservative in them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that some people are sensitive to sulfur. Uh, my wife is one of them. She uh, finds her chest gets tight when she has uh, sulfur in, in wines. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think also they have shown that the organic produce, not particularly the wine, but uh, things like organic apples and, and pears, uh, have higher nutritional content. Whether that applies to the grapes or not, uh, what I do find is that organic grapes tend to be much looser berries. Um, in other words, in one particular bunch, you'll get much fewer grapes. Mm -hmm. And that means that the yield that you're getting per hectare is going to be significantly less than you would be getting from, uh, from um, uh, conventional grapes. Uh, and what that means is that the ratio between the skin and the juice is very much higher in, in uh, organic grapes than it is in conventional grapes. In mm -hmm. conventional grapes, you get more skin. Now, the skin is the part that gives you the, the pigment, the color, uh, and a whole pile of the flavor compounds are coming from the, the skin. So the more skin you have and the less juice you have, the, the deeper the color, the, the, the richer the wine mm -hmm. on the whole. Fantastic. And um, do you, I mean, you obviously, uh, you drink quite a bit of your own wine. I mean, I've spent a bit of time with you and you, you seem to enjoy your wine. Are there other wines that you enjoy um, apart from, from, from the Upland brand? Well, yes, of course. You know, being in the industry, I, I need to know what is going on out there. And mm -hmm. so I do, whenever possible, have an opportunity to try other people's wines. Then I do that and, mm -hmm. and I enjoy them. I tend to notice it the next morning, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, having said that, um, I, I do believe that variety is the spice of life, mm -hmm. and I'm very happy to, to taste other people's wines. Uh, a lot of uh, guests that come here feel a bit um, embarrassed to bring along a, a bottle of wine when they come and visit, um, because they know that I make my own, but uh, it's, it's very nice when they do, because it gives one a chance to taste uh, something else. Yes. 
and um, uh, yeah. And uh, sort of starting off in the industry as a, a novice winemaker um, and, and, and farmer, uh, you had to obviously lean on, on quite a bit of people for, for advice. Were there any sure. mentors that... Um, Indeed, there, there certainly were. Um, in, in the very early 1990s, uh, the KWV um, was very active in providing information to farmers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I leaned very heavily on them. Uh, that's changed now. They still do provide services, mm-hmm. um, but obviously only conventional. They're not providing any organic services. Mm-hmm. The the other uh, thing that I found about the South African wine industry, which is very refreshing, is that the people that are in the industry tend to be free with their advice. Okay. So I would go to, for instance, Danny Stateler at Carpser, and I would say to him, now, what do you think about this wine, or how do I do this? And he wouldn't uh, keep his information to himself he would mm-hmm. be free to uh, to say no i think you should do this or i think you should do that mm-hmm. uh, and many other people in the wine industry are are the same and so from that perspective um i i learned uh, an enormous amount from going to other winemakers mm-hmm. uh, you know you can learn only so much from books um, there's nothing that quite beats experience so That's i would right. go to the people that had the experience and um, and then try and fit that into my paradigm. Mm. Um, obviously, I was limited when they say, no, you must use this chemical or that chemical in the winery. Well, okay, fine. Uh, we can't do that because we're doing it organically, but I understand the principle of what they're trying to tell me. Sure. So, um, yeah, the, the, the organic wine in a, in a, in, on one hand is easier to make because the grapes are in a better balance, mm-hmm. and so you don't have to start fiddling around and adding acids and adding uh, various other things, gelatine or egg whites and that sort of stuff, uh, in order to fix your wine because your wine is right from the start. From the start yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the organic does have differences, and and I think I was probably the first organic winery, uh, although not the first to be certified. I only bothered to get certified around about 2000. Um, and that was simply because I'd started to export and the people in Europe wanted the certificate and I didn't have the certificate. So I, I went through the, the, the process and got certified and we've been certified ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that certification entail? I mean, are there certain texts that you have to abide by every year or every four or five years? Uh, no, no, it's an annual certification and mm-hmm. um, they, uh, they being a certifying, certifying agency will send a uh, an inspector and that inspector comes to the farm and walks around and has look what I'm up to and then examines all of my records and then examines my invoices and it's it's basically an, an audit it takes a day it costs usually around about somewhere between 20 and 25,000 rand mm-hmm. for the piece of paper and the rubber stamp but the point is that it's a third party accreditation so um, it, it stands up to scrutiny so mm-hmm. if I want to export I can say I have got European certification on an organic bottle of wine. On that mm. bottle of wine. And, and they accept that. So mm. that's the main thing. Whereas if I just, in South Africa, there aren't any rules about it. So I can put an organic product on the market and nobody's going to come to me and say, hey, you're not allowed to say that's organic because you haven't been certified. Mm-hmm. But in Europe, there are rules about it. They're mm. trying to get the rules sorted out in South Africa, but they just can't quite manage to get it together just yet. Mm. So uh, until such time as they do that, we always have to be a little bit cautious about interpreting organic.
um, uh, in, in, in the South African context. Of course, if it's organic certified, no problem. But uh, if it just says organic, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You know, you, you're working on the, the good faith of the person who's putting that label on. Hmm. And maybe he's just putting the label on to try and boost his sales. We, you don't know. Yes. And uh, you mentioned that you export a lot of your wine. Um, is, is, does, do you export the majority of your wine or do you sell locally as well? Uh, no, most of my sales are local. Okay. Um, the export is uh, a little cherry on the top. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's nice because generally the export sales are large orders, so they'll take, a, say, a pallet or a half a pallet of wine, mm-hmm. whereas the local sales tend to be one box at a time. Mm. Um, so it, it just takes quite a lot longer to move the same amount of, of wine. Yes. On the other hand, the export port, um, paperwork is quite um, substantial, mm-hmm. so uh, the local sales are much easier. I see. And this is very much a, a working farm. Uh, it's a, you, you're not only doing um, alcohol, you have a, a variety of other products. You also have, obviously, quite a few chickens uh, yeah. <laughs> in the background. Um, yeah. uh, what, what else do you do on the farm um, outside of... Well, you see, um, my whole approach to organic was this basic premise that an organic farm cannot be a monoculture mm-hmm. or not, cannot be, should not be a monoculture okay. because that goes against the grain of everything that we're trying to do in organic. Mm-hmm. So um, in my vineyard, I don't have only grapevines. I have grapevines and the legumes and all of the weeds and all of the other plants. Um, as the uh, as the saying goes, a weed is just a plant growing in the wrong place. Um, these are all part of the of the um, ecosystem. ecosystem of the vineyard itself. And then, of course, in between the vines, uh, there's rows of olive trees because mm-hmm. olives and vines they seem to like each other. Uh, we've got a lot of olive trees. We've probably got about two thousand olive trees on the farm. Um, and then we have lesser important, uh, financially lesser important crops, uh, things like the dried apples, dried pears, um, and then the nuts, the pecans, almonds, and macadamias. Mm-hmm. Um, I always have a very soft spot for the nuts. Um, I, I like products that are storable, mm-hmm. um, which is why we don't sell fresh apples and fresh pears, um, because you, you know you have to pick them at exactly the right time and you have to sell them as soon as possible. Fresh grapes go into the same category. Mm. Uh, so the olives, we turn most of those into olive oil, which is obviously storable. Mm-hmm. And the table olives also, they're likewise. You don't have to sell them immediately. In fact, it takes you about four months before you can actually sell uh, the, the table olives. From the time, uh, of, from picking the time of picking. That's okay. right. It's, wow. a, it's quite a long process of mm. putting them into salt. Every olive gets cut and then it goes into salt water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then right at the end, we put in some... Um, some vinegar or some some lemon juice or you know some herbs mm. to make them taste nice. Um, <clears throat> so again, once they're in their final product uh, form, they uh, they they're good for a year. Uh, again, it just gives you time to to do your marketing. Mm. Uh, whereas with fresh fruit, boy, you know if you don't sell your grapes quick, quick, you're you, you know they're going to go bad. Mm. That's it, and you're going to throw them away. So with the grapes, what we do is we turn them into wine. Uh, From the wine, some of the grapes we turn into brandy. And the brandy, some of the brandy is now 20 years old. Um, You know, 
uh, it, it just means that your marketing can take a little bit longer. And, and that's really what I like because I'm not very good at the marketing. I'm, I'm inherently a farmer, uh, and so uh, I'd like to leave the marketing to people who do that better than I do, which uh, that, that, that doesn't take much to do that. And um, just to give me a, a sort of a rough day, in, and, and I know this question is probably going to bug you a bit because no day is the same on this farm. Uh, yeah, no days. <laughs> but um, uh, there, there's obviously uh, farming is very seasonal, and yeah. and having yeah. spent a bit of time uh, with you and your family, you you can very much tell when uh, you you're you're busy with um, the wine or when you're uh, you're distilling. Mm -hmm. um, what is your? I mean, a day in January to March is obviously very different from the rest of the year. Mm. Um, during distilling season, what does your 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 day look like? Well, I love the distilling season because it's uh, one time of the year where I can tell everybody to leave me alone because I'm distilling. <laughs> and so uh, this is the distillery where we are at the moment. Um, and uh, I don't let anybody do any part of the distilling at all uh, for the simple reason is that if... Uh, f firstly, it's an, it's an artistry. It's, it's, like, it's like cooking. You have to get that temperature time combination just right mm -hmm. uh, and if you get it wrong sometimes you only notice your mistake 10 years down the line oh, wow. uh, because of the brandy that hasn't now developed into the form of brandy that you wanted to develop mm -hmm. into and if it's uh, my mistake and I know it must be my mistake because it's only me that's been doing the distilling mm -hmm. then I can live with that but I, I must say I'd be very hard pressed to have kind thoughts to an employee that messed up a ten-year process. A ten-year process. Sure. That's right. And it certainly does change the way that you you look at your finances because um, there's none of this uh, get rich quick. You you have to sit on your capital for a very very long time. Mm -hmm. With the wine, okay, the white wine's a bit quicker. The the champagne's about two years, um, whereas the uh, red wine goes to about four to five years and of course the brandy the the, the youngest brandy uh, is generally around about 10 years mm -hmm. so uh, you have to schedule your uh, your cash flow in order to to cope with these things mm -hmm. in the beginning we ran guest cottages mm -hmm. uh, for 20 years and this gave us uh, uh, the, the cash flow that we needed just to get through and by now we're into the 20 year cycle with the brandy so uh, the sales are starting to take over uh, where the guest cottages left off because we don't run those guest cottages anymore. I see. And, and most of this, um, interestingly, you actually built yourself or, or rigged up yourself? Well, yeah, I have a, a, a sort of a, it's a basic premise that if I watch somebody doing something mm -hmm. and learn how to do it, then the chances are be able to do it as well, uh, given the right tuition, obviously. I, yes. you know. So what happened here in the distillery is that these two tanks were uh, they, they were made from second-hand scrap material, mm -hmm. uh, and I got a stainless steel welder to come and do that. And uh, while he was welding, I said to him, you know, can I try? So, <laughs> so he said, yeah, sure, you can try. And so I fiddled a little bit, and he said, no, 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 hold it like this and do it like that. And, didn't take long and I, I was I was welding okay then then he finished up these two tanks um, and uh, the, the, the 
principle is that if you can weld an inch, you can weld a mile. It's just a case of repetition. Mm. And so then I thought, no, I must try and do this myself. And so that was the first stainless tank that I, that I built from scratch on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those days, the, the welding machines, the TIG welding machines, were extremely expensive. They've come down in price since then. Um, but they, they were a serious investment. And um, that tank basically paid for my welding machine in, in what I saved from not having to go and get somebody else to make it for me. Yes. And then I made the, uh, the kettle that's a completely different uh, kettle of fish, if you'll excuse the pun. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the kettle is made out of copper. Mm-hmm. And copper welding is very different from stainless steel welding. And uh, of course, it's different from copper brazing, which these uh, connections here, these are all brazed connections. So that's fairly straightforward stuff. Whereas the kettle over there is welded and that needed a very sophisticated welding machine. So I went down to the town and um, uh, the uh, engineering works there allowed me kindly to uh, use their machine. And I welded it up there. Um, Then in the winery, uh, once you've built up the confidence that you can do this, um, I would make the, the wine tanks. So, so that's... And then, of course, in time, I taught somebody to weld, and they took over from me. Okay. And uh, now, as I'm getting a bit on and my hand's getting a bit more shaky, I'm happy to pass the baton on to somebody else. But not uh, the brandy yet. Not the brandy yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose the brandy might aid in a shaky hand. Oh, uh, you never know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And um, Edmund, when you were first starting off, uh, you know, 30 years ago um, mm. in in the wine industry and, and, and brandy industry and organic farming, um, I think for myself, I, I try and rush into something and, and I'm not patient enough to look at the, the big picture. Mm-hmm. What was your initial mindset when you were first starting off? Was it to, to, to grow an organic um, farm? I mean, did you no, have it was, yourself? Well, it was a journey, obviously. And... and um, you know, when we first came here, uh, it was a complete shocker, firstly, that I wasn't getting a salary at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Having worked for 10 years as a vet, every month the money just comes into the bank. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, all of a sudden, the money doesn't come into the bank. It mm-hmm. comes into the bank once a year after I've delivered the grapes. And mm-hmm. it takes me half a year to grow the grapes. We came in August. You only harvest in January and February. And then you only get your money out in August, September anyway um, so so what was happening is that the the workers at the end of the week would stand there with their hands open to say time to pay now Mm -hmm. and so cash flow was an absolute nightmare so in the beginning what I did was that I I borrowed more money than I needed to for the farm for the capital of the farm Mm -hmm. and over a period of approximately three years slowly chipped away at that capital until it was all finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by that stage, we d- developed the infrastructure of the guest cottages, and so some money was coming in from that. Sure. And then my wife uh, started the business of, of making these handmade cards, and that was also pretty quick turnover. She made the cards, get the money within a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was great for our turnover. Mm-hmm. So then... Um, I was delivering the grapes at the cooperative for the first five years. And I went to the cooperative and I said to them, you know, I'm, 
wanting to make organic grapes and uh, are you interested in in obviously you're gonna have to pay a premium for these grapes and also make a separate wine out of these grapes yes uh, and they just flatly said no not interested at all so of course now they they're quite keen on these these little niche brands and so on but in 1991 92 this was totally revolutionary as far as they were concerned I just made grapes and dropped it off to them <laughs> and I must be happy and shut up right. so um, I then said no look I'm sorry I need to go out on my own mm -hmm. and that was the that was basically the the, the trigger to go out now uh, the big problem was that in the in, in 1990 1991 um, we got paid 650 rand a ton for first grade uh, steer it doesn't sound like much now, but actually it was a very, very respectable uh, uh, figure. Mm -hmm. And in 1996, when I delivered my last grapes and bailed out from them, or 95, I think it was, uh, they had taken on a whole pile of debt to, to upgrade the seller. Mm -hmm. And of course, to pay that debt back, they had to take it from the money that they were paying the farmers. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of five years, I was still getting 650 rand a ton for my, for my uh, uh, first grade steer. Now, the problem is that inflation has basically halved the value of that money. And uh, the, the other problem is that the cost of everything else has gone up. So yes. you're, you're looking at a substantially lower amount of money for the uh, same product. Mm -hmm. And it just simply was not economically viable on, on an organic scale. Mm -hmm. Perhaps if I was still farming conventionally and pushing the grapes and getting huge tons per hectare, maybe it would have been um, viable economically. But I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I still think to a large degree uh, grape farming is, is, is very marginal. For the people, the farmers that are delivering to the carbs, um, you know, in the value chain, uh, everybody is taking about 15%. So the only people that are not taking 15% profit are the, the primary producers, the farmers that are making those grapes in the first place. I see. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into the details of the economics now, but sure. But everybody along the line says, no, this is what I'm doing for this thing, be it the winemaker, be it the marketer, be it the retailer, be it the wholesaler, whoever it is, just slaps on their 15%. Mm. The farmer doesn't. He barely breaks even. And a lot of farms are on the verge of bankruptcy. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough life out there. Mm -hmm. so I try to add the value to it by making my own wine. Uh, but of course, that has its own problems associated with it. Now you've got to start marketing this thing, and um, the other, the other thing is, of course, you've got to wait a whole lot longer for your for your money because yes. now you're not getting your money after six months or a year. You're only getting your money in. So stack it as you make sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. And um, advice for for people wanting to get into the wine industry, uh, young budding winemakers. Don't. <laughs> Until you, uh, well, I mean, I'm sure until you sort uh, of have that taste of your first product that you, <laughs> and, and it's, it's something that's great. Um, well, yeah, okay, that's, that's the short answer. When I uh, decided to make wine, mm -hmm. there was at those, in those days, there was an excise on, on water, on drinking water. Uh, not tap water, but bottled water. Mm -hmm. 
and we have a source of water on the farm that I that I really wanted to bottle and sell. But because I was going to have to go through all of the hassle factor of having to fill out the excise and pay the excise on the water, I thought, no, well, you know, it doesn't make sense at all. Uh, might as well make wine because I'm going to have to pay the excise on the wine anyway. Mm -hmm. And so we chose that. Looking back on it, it would have made much more sense to uh, uh, to to bottle the water and have that as our cash flow. Yes. Uh, and make wine for fun. So, uh, you know, my advice is try not to make a living out of it. Do it for fun. It's mm -hmm. loads of fun. I do all sorts of stuff for mm -hmm. fun. Uh, you know, we, we've got heaps of products and uh, and I also do other stuff. We've made cider and beer and uh, all, all sorts of things. Uh, but those are not commercial products. That's just what I do for fun. What you enjoy, yeah. Uh, because, you know, the old adage, all work and no play makes jacket old boy. I want to make sure that I don't work all the time. <laughs> yes, and um, Edmund, your um, your you have a a, a couple of um, varieties of wine. Um, you've got the Cabernet um, or the Cab Sav, mm -hmm. uh, Pinot Noir. What mm -hmm. else do you? And then you've got a couple of whites as well. Yeah, the, those are the two reds. Mm -hmm. uh, the white I turn either into uh, the MCC, the Champagne, mm -hmm. or I turn it into brandy. Uh, if it goes into the brandy, it gets distilled, mm -hmm. and then that distilled product either goes into barrels and maturation, or it does not. It stays out as either a grappa, which comes from distilling the skins and the pips, or a rakia, which comes from uh, distilling the juice. Uh, once I've got the rakia, then I can take that and I can turn it into gins. We make the three different gins, mm -hmm. uh, and I also can make it into a limoncello, and I make it into a digestive called yacharnd. Uh, so these are uh, the, the products that you can make from the one raw material of the distilled grape. Okay. And um, I've, I've noticed that uh, your cabs are, are quite um, old wines. Uh, you don't... Yeah. Uh, I don't like uh, young, fresh, fruity, in-your-face wines. Mm -hmm. I, I like the more matured wines. This is not everybody's taste, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just what I enjoy. So uh, the Cabernet, for instance, this uh, this is a 2009. This is what we're selling. So it's 11 years old now. Mm -hmm. uh, when we bottled it, it was th uh, three summers in the barrel. When we bottled it in 2012, it got a bronze medal. And uh, 2015, after three years further in the, in the bottle, uh, picked up a gold medal in, in Germany. So uh, it shows that the wines actually improve with, with time in the bottle. Is that counterintuitive to what people think about organic wines, though? Uh, not necessarily. Um, I, you know, organic wines. If you are growing wines in the uh, in the Northern Cape, um, then you've got these very deep soils. You've got huge fertility. You've got very dry area. Lots and lots of irrigation water. You don't have uh, small yields. You have huge yields. So you're basically making bulk wine, even though it is. Uh, organic. Mm -hmm. You just haven't used the, the, the pesticides on it, but the wine itself is still going to be rather rather thin and, and uninteresting mm -hmm. uh, and cheap, obviously, because they've got these huge tonnages per hectare. Uh, whereas the wines here, uh, the grapes really struggle. They don't have these huge tonnages. Uh, we're very lucky if we get four tons off on a hectare. Okay. Uh, much more typically would be somewhere between two and three tons on a hectare. Mm -hmm. 
which is very, very little. Versus a larger um, wine farm in the Northern Cape? What would well, in the Northern Cape, they'll be taking off somewhere between 25 and 30 tons on a hectare. Wow. Okay, so stark difference. Yeah, no, it's difference. huge. It's huge. Uh, this area, conventional farming, if they push push the grapes, they should be getting between 8 and 10. So, so we're getting less than half mm -hmm. of what the equivalent would be getting in this area. Okay. Uh, because the soils here are all plus or minus the same and the climate is plus or minus the same. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the Northern Cape, the soils are very different. They're deep alluvial soils and they, and they have very high fertility and they also have uh, very dry environments. So they don't sit with problems with fungal diseases mm -hmm. or anything like the problems that we sit with. They, they will have some obviously, but mm -hmm. not nothing like the disease pressure that we have down here with our humid uh, summers. And you mentioned that um, uh, the uh, cabs have picked up a, a couple of awards. You've also got another, um, your port's also done very, very well. Yes. Um, now, you see, with with uh, organic farming, not every year is the same. You're very much more at the mercy of the elements. Uh, so some years are big years. By big years, I mean you'd get, say, four tons on a hectare. Mm -hmm. uh, some years are lean years when you get maybe one or two ton on a hectare. Mm -hmm. Now, we're only farming... Um, basically two and a half hectares of, of um, red grapes. Mm -hmm. So if I've only got two or two and a half tons to work with, that's my full crop of red wine for the year, yes. uh, it becomes very difficult to make a high quality red wine with such a little grapes. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a little bit like economics of scale. The bigger you go, the, the easier it becomes. I see. So when I'm sitting with just a few grapes, then I make port instead. Okay. Um, now, the way that you make port is that when you ferment the grapes, when they're about halfway, you stop the fermentation by adding some spirits, brandy. Okay. And uh, the sugar that has not fermented remains behind, and that gives you the sweetness of the port. Okay. Now, obviously, the earlier you stop the fermentation, the sweeter. more syrupy yeah. and sweeter and heavier the port's going to be, the later you stop the fermentation, the drier it will be. Mm. So I like a port which is fairly dry. Uh, we have two ports. One is the ruby, which is uh, stays for three years in the barrel. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have also the tawny, which stays for five years in the barrel. Mm -hmm. And the tawny won port of the year this year at the John Platter. Oh, so it was uh, very nice to pick up the honors of the best port in the country. Fantastic. Yeah. And you got to experience quite a few other wines uh, on, at that uh, event as well. Oh, mentioned. yeah, that was loads of fun. <laughs> it was like being a kid in a sweet shop. <laughs> Great. Um, Edmund, and, and with your, uh, your cab, uh, when, uh, when drinking the wine, what, what can you expect? I mean, from a winemaker's perspective. Sure. Um, different wines have got different um, reasons for, for, for drinking them. Mm -hmm. In the sense that some wines are just nice to have as a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. uh, some wines are made for having with a meal. Mm -hmm. And my wine is very definitely a wine for a meal. It's got rich tannins. Uh, it's got rich flavors. Uh, the wine makes the meal taste better and the meal makes the wine taste better. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, a lovely combination. Um, and uh, really, wine with a meal is, is part of the Mediterranean diet, which I believe is a particularly healthy one, mm -hmm. along with lots and lots of olive oil and fresh fruits and vegetables. And uh, wine fits in. It just meshes seamlessly into that. So uh, that's what I always recommend with my wines. Mm -hmm. uh, even though it's a vegan wine, uh, tongue-in-cheek, I say, it just screams for a steak. 
Lovely. We've had, we've had it with some wild boar before, I think, um, yeah. on, on this farm, which was absolutely incredible. Yeah, very um, partial to venison. You know, yeah. these animals have lived um, uh, perfectly healthy, natural lives. Mm -hmm. uh, and when they get slaughtered, they don't even hear the bullet coming. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't get loaded onto trucks and taken to, you know, stress and all of those things which, which the, the meat industry is plagued with. Uh, venison doesn't have that. So I'm, I, I'm, I enjoy venison very much. Lovely. And as a vet, of course, it's my, my idea is that uh, you, you, you want to try and minimize stress and minimize uh, pain yes. in animals. Yeah. And um, just finishing off, I mean, you're, you've mentioned a couple of times that you, you, were, you, you stopped practicing um, as, a, as a vet uh, quite a while ago. Well, uh, full-time. Full, full, full I, I stopped full-time practice. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. I, I still see a few clients. I, I specialized in uh, the area of reproduction, so mm -hmm. uh, my clients are very easy to schedule um, uh, because there's no emergencies. I'm not doing the, the normal uh, sick dog stuff anymore mm -hmm. um, I, and uh, no operations at all or anything like that. So it's basically primarily consultation. Fantastic. And um, when this whole sort of lockdown ends, you're also going to be doing wine tastings uh, on the farm? Uh, Indeed, uh, most of my of, of my local sales are in fact sales directly from the farm. Mm -hmm. uh, I always say my best advert is somebody who's taken a bottle of wine and uh, taken it to their own home and drunk it without me telling them taste this and taste that. So in the quiet of their own home, mm -hmm. uh, they can taste the wine, and uh, those are the people that come back for more mm. um, because. It's a wine that grows on you. Yes. It's it's not it's not in your face. It's mm -hmm. it's you know it's like a quiet person. You've got to draw the conversation out of them, mm -hmm. and and then you find that there's depth in this. And the same with this wine. It's a wine with great character, great yes. depth. Much to my wife's dismay, I've found character and depth in your wine, and, and, <laughs> and seem to be partaking in it quite a bit. So, I do appreciate um, yeah. uh, you know the. Uh, the time that you've spent sort of taking us through the farm and um, yeah, I hope the listeners have, have enjoyed the, the chickens and, and when they do come on wine tastings, mm -hmm. chickens, a lot of dogs, yeah. um, you, yeah. you have four or five dogs running around, quite big ones and, as and well. And free range chickens, boy, range they, chickens. They, they are really free range. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but Edmund, thank you very, very much for no, it's for a pleasure. Thank that you for taking um, the trouble. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah, uh, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, if someone wants to sort of um, taste your wine or purchase mm -hmm. your wine, uh, on the farm, uh, yep. by appointment? Uh, uh, if they want to come to the farm, yes, of course, by appointment. Mm -hmm. um, but if they want to purchase, they can purchase online. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a website. Uh, there's the Facebook page. There's the Instagram page. So it's fairly straightforward to find Upland. Um, Upland, by the way, is uh, the English for this area where we live in. It's uh, the Boerland. Mm -hmm. A lot of people haven't quite made that link yet, but mm -hmm. um, that's where we came upon the name. Also, the farm is quite high. We're about 100 meters above the, uh, the town, which is just down in the valley. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got very nice views. And it's a particularly steep farm. So from the bottom of the farm to the top of the farm is about 120 meters. So you can get fit just walking around on this place. Lovely. And um, it's Upland Wine, or sorry, Organic uh, wine.co.za is the website. Uh, the website organicwine.co.za and uh, organic wine singular, no S on the end. A lot of people put the S on and it doesn't on. work. Yeah. And we'll pop that down in the in the uh, URL of this uh, podcast and YouTube um, mm -hmm. uh, video. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for taking the time to meet and uh, and uh, share a little bit more. It was it was very refreshing. Yeah, you're welcome. I, really I, I, I always enjoy talking about these wines. Fantastic. Great. Great. Thanks, thank everyone. You.